Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. We give you all the praise as we start this study. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, if you remember last week, we got through 10 verses in, in chapter 4. Today, we've, got, we've only got um, 8 or 9 verses to go, so we may not go the, whole, the entire hour. I, I do, I, I do want to um, depart a little bit from Hosea and kind of talk about, uh, about some other issues that we're going to see later in Hosea. Uh, if, if, you, if you remember, when we were talking, when we showed the video, remember we showed the video at the very first session and we showed it again last week. And I said, I think the Bible Project does a wonderful job. In fact, if you write that down, it's called The Bible Project. Um, you can get it on your, your computer in your room, or if you don't know how to do it, just ask somebody how to, how to pull that up. It's, it's a wonderful study. In fact, it's not only in, under the Bible Project, but also if you go to YouTube, which is videos, you can type in different things. And they've got wonderful studies like that, wonderful orientations on all the books of the Bible, as well as some other topics as well. And they do a great job. But I say that to say this, what they don't touch on is the, the prophetic voice. There's, there's prophecy that runs all through the scriptures, all through the scriptures. And, you know, there's a, there's a few teachers, a few Bible pastors that are willing to kind of roll their sleeves up and, and dig into prophecy. And we're in the book of Hosea, and Hosea has a lot of, in fact, all of Hosea is a prophecy. It really is, because it all talks about, it all talks about the sin that Israel finds itself in and the coming judgment that's going to happen, and then a restoration. So the whole book of Isaiah is about prophecy. And because of that, I want to be able to spend a little bit of time, especially as we get into chapter 6 and 10, 11, that has some prophecy that I feel has some latter-day fulfillment, meaning the end times. So we'll get into that. But let me go ahead and read this through, um, and we'll kind of go through it. And Michael, if you would help me, maybe I'll, I'll do the first uh, through verse 14, and you can pick it up at 15, okay? Okay, the idolatry of Israel, verse 11, harlotry, wine and new wine enslave the heart. My people ask counsel from their wooden idols and their staff informs them for the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray and they have played the harlot against their God. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops and burn incense on the hills under oaks, poplars and terebinths because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters commit harlotry and your brides commit idolatry. Adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit adultery, for the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with a ritual harlot. Therefore, people who do not understand will be trampled. So if, you, if you've been with us, and you, there, seems, there's a, there doesn't seem to be there's a lot of repetitions in there. There's a lot of repetition right from the very beginning. In fact, when we looked at the first chapter of Hosea, we said the first chapter was going to be kind of like a picture of all of the rest of it. It kind of talked about, you know, Hosea, take this, this wife of harlotry, this Gomer, and she's going to pay, play the harlot, and she's not going to be faithful, but you're going to be faithful. You're going to redeem her and love her even though she has gone against you and against your wishes and done something that was detestable. And God compares our inability 
to stay faithful to God to adultery, a sexual sin. And this is, this is common, actually, through the Bible. This is, this is not uncommon. That's how, how God treats it. And I think the reason is, is because of all of the sins, that's the one that really impacts us. If your spouse, if your husband, if your wife, if your, even if your kids and you find that they're not being faithful with each other, it, it cuts to your heart. And I think that's why God uses it as an example of how he feels when people depart from their faithfulness to God, is that's, that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. And we, and we, have, we can understand that. We can understand that even, even when that hasn't happened to us, even when our, our spouse has remained faithful. Um, and that's, that's the way it should be. But, even, when, but we, even if it hasn't happened to us, we can certainly understand it. Joe. It sounds like a metaphor for today. Yeah. You know, it was hard to be faithful. I, I have a lot of, I agree, I have a lot of sympathy for the people of Israel. And I think that sympathy comes from my own understanding of how easy it is to stray. And I use the example of, of superstition. Super, now, silly superstitions are just silly superstitions. I don't think God's going to get too exercised about me putting my baseball cap on backwards, you know, and, and letting it rally, you know, and having it as a superstition. But God does take true adultery and true, uh, true idol worship very seriously. And it's so easy to fall into. And that's why we spend so much time, and we'll spend a little bit of time today, talking about why it was easy for the people of Israel to fall into this. Not only did the, their neighbors believe something different than they did, and that's always, that's always a, a danger. When you're, when you're living in a different land or your, your neighbors believe something that you don't believe, it's difficult. I think that's why some of the religions try to separate. But remember, the, the, the way that they enticed the, the people of Israel were through the things that they needed. You know, they, they needed Baal, they needed this God to be able to bring the rain. You know, if it didn't rain, they didn't have crops, and, and they lived in a desert. It was, it was not unusual that they would go through some very, very difficult times, and they would have famines, and the people are dancing around and offering things to Baal, and as a result, it rains. And then they go, see? That's, all, that's what you needed to do. And, and, then, and then Asherah, this goddess, was the goddess of fertility. And the people not only wanted to have children themselves, I mean, they had large families, but at the same time, they also wanted their, their cows to have little cows, their sheep to have little sheep, their chickens to have little chickens, right? I mean, they wanted their... their that was wealth. Absolutely. They, they needed that. They needed that agriculture. They needed that, that husbandry. They needed the animals. So you're right, Joe. I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly what happens. But let's get into this... this hi, Talitha. Let's get in a little bit to this idea of, of this, this, the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray. And um, again, we said that, that the Lord looks at like this as if it's, if it's um, a sin against the first commandment, that they they've have other gods. They've, they've done this. And he compares that to adultery, which, which, which gets at to our heart. And the, the, this whole picture that, that, that uh, Hosea is painting is that you've got a faithful God. You've got a God that is extremely faithful, that is, that is willing to forgive and restore and to be able to provide. And in fact, we see that. We see that in Hosea, that God says, they're doing these things, and I've provided these things, and they're thanking somebody else for it. 
They're thanking for somebody else. You know, that's probably happened to you. Have you ever been at a place where you've, you've given a gift to somebody and somebody else gets the thanks for it? And, you know, maybe it just, just kind of irks you just a little bit. You want to kind of remind them that actually came from me, you know, but maybe you're more generous than that, but I can understand that. But, but this is what's happening is the people are actually thanking the gods. Baal and Asherah for the things, the natural things that God is only providing. God is the one that's providing these things. He's he set up the systems. He's set up the economies. He's set up the agricultures. Uh, he's, he's set up all these things so that the people would be blessed, and they're, they're thanking somebody else. Um, now, it goes on, and there's a, there's a couple of things that are, that are a little interesting in here. It says, for the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with a ritual harlot. And we haven't been real... We haven't used real coarse language, but this is actually very, very crude. The way that these, these, um, this, this idolatry was actually done is through prostitution. They would, they would have these vestal virgins. They would have, which is just a, a name that, that means nothing, but the idea was that these were, these were, uh, these were women that were harlots. And in order to worship the gods, especially Asherah, the goddess of, of, of fertility, is they would actually have sex with these prostitutes. And that was part of the religious services. Now, I've been to a lot of churches, but that's never been part of our service. I mean, um, there's, a, there's a comment in here. It says, it says, I will not punish your daughters. Do you find that interesting? You find that interesting, right? He says, for the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices. I will not punish your daughters. And, and it's kind of like, well, that's interesting. I wonder what that's about. Well, the, uh, the, the book of Hosea is very, very clear. You know, unlike, unlike uh, the woman that was, that was caught in adultery that was brought to Jesus, right? And if you've heard a sermon on that from me or anybody that's, that's taught that, that, that story before, it's like, well, what about the guy? I mean, if she was caught in the act, that means there was a guy that was with her, and they bring the woman, right, to Jesus, and throw her at his feet and say, well, she's supposed to be stoned, but what about the guy? What about the guy? And, there's, and it's true is that throughout history, there's been kind of a double standard, right? A double standard. It's, it's one thing for my son to play the field. We call that sowing his oats, right? But we don't want our daughters to do that, right? We don't want our daughters to do that. We call them names. We, we brand them. Uh, but Hosea is not that way. And Hosea is actually speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't have a double standard. God doesn't have a double standard. He, he, he calls it what it is. Sin is sin. It's the men that are doing this. And the women are not being punished. And I think the reason for this is that he's probably talking about the daughters that are trapped in this, this sex trade. The sex trade. When we, we know when so often when we take a look at our church had a had a wonderful ministry that reached out to, to women that were caught up in, in prostitution. And I, I really didn't understand it at the very beginning when it went on because I figured, well, <laughs> why don't you just stay away from those women? I mean, I mean that's what I'm told. I said, I said, stay away from them. But see, they're, they're caught in sex trafficking. Um, it's not their choice often, uh, but they find themselves caught in it. And just, just because they don't have handcuffs and they're not tied, down doesn't mean that they're not trapped. And I think that's what, what we're saying here is that these women are, are trapped in this, in this service. They've, they've become uh, temple prostitutes for this false God. And God is saying, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blame them. I mean, 
I mean, there's, there's probably going to be enough blame to go around, but I'm not blaming them. It's, it's the men that have done this. The demand is coming from the men that are, that are coming for this, this, this strange ritual that's going on. So I'm not going to punish your daughters. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Women are already second class. They're almost treated like slaves, right? They're almost treated like slaves. They're treated like chattel. Um, they can be bought and sold. And, uh, and God has, a, has heart and compassion. So he's not going to hold them to the same standard that the men have. The men have many more choices than the women do. And that's the issue, is that these women often didn't have the choice. Men do. Men had the choice. They could, they could decide what they wanted to do. So because they have the choice, God is going to hold them accountable to a standard, and he's not going to necessarily punish uh, the daughters. Uh, so let's go on. We're around verse 14, 15. It says, the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with the ritual harlot we talked about. Therefore, the people who do not understand will be trampled. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend. Um, and that's interesting because, remember, we've talked about this before, is that this is after the, the fallen kingdom, after David and after Solomon, the kingdom divides under Jeroboam I. Jeroboam uh, takes the ten tribes to the north. Um, which is where they all live. And you gave me the book. I mean, uh, Marilyn gave me this little book on the Abrahamic covenant. And there's some maps in here that are really interesting. In fact, I'll pass this around. This is kind of interesting. Talks about things. And on page, one of the early pages here is where there's a map of, um, a map of the 10 tribes into the north. And you can see that they're all spread out all over the place. And it's actually a, a pretty large area that they're covering. Um, but, but the 10 tribes go to the north. But, but it's on page 7 if you want to pass around. But, um, but it says, let not Judah offend. You see, at this time, the two kingdoms to the north, you have the north and the south. Hosea is teaching about, talking about the northern tribes. And they both departed from the perfect, okay? But here's the thing. In the northern tribes, not one of the kings, not one of the kings was ever good. They were all evil. Now, they might have been economically okay. I mean, there were times of prosperity in the north where the people did pretty well, where the king was victorious over his enemies. The people lived in relative peace and, and tranquility, but they had departed from, from the, the law of God. Uh, they no longer were serving God. And they were going to come under condemnation here in 722 AD. The Syrians are going to come in and, and, and conquer this land and take the people away. Um, and he's saying, let not Judah offend. And he's kind of like, he's kind of warning. He's got like two children. He's got, he's got one that's already fallen, and the other one he still has some hope for, okay? Because there were still good kings. There were times of, of religious restoration. There's times of revival. There's times of revival. You know, revivals are interesting. I don't know if you've ever studied the revivals, but there's been a number of revivals. There's been a couple of revivals here in the United States. Some people say, say maybe three or four. Uh, you had the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. There were some smaller ones. There was a thing called the, the Boston Street. Uh, there was a New York Wharf Revival. There was a pray, Praying Man's Revival. There was a, there was a Zusa Street um, um, out in the, on the West Coast at the beginning of the last century. Um, so there's been a number of revivals. And that's what revivals do. It's people turn back to God. Their, their heart turns back to God. They're usually a movement. It doesn't... It isn't a permanent change, but for a while there, the people's hearts are stirred and they, they repent of their ways and they, they turn back to God. 
And during this time that Hosea is preaching, Judah has gone through some revivals. There's been some times when, when the, the king, a good king comes and they try to turn the people back and he restores some of the sacrifices in the temple and they, they restore the law and the people are starting to observe the Sabbaths again and, and they're trying to do what God wants them to do. Now Judah will eventually fall as well, but at this point, at this point in time, what, what Hosea is saying, let not Judah offend. He doesn't want Judah to get involved with this. In fact, he even says how that happens. He says, let not Judah offend. Do not come up to Gilgal or Beth Event. Now, the cities of Gilgal and, and Beth Event uh, were centers of idolatry in Israel. What's interesting is Gigal, Gigal, how do you pronounce that, Pastor? Gigal, right? I would say that would be Gigal. That's where, that's, where, um, that's where Elijah was. You know, Elijah, when he confronts the prophets of Baal, and he says, he says, what's the matter with your God? Is he relieving himself? Is he busy? Maybe you need to shout louder. You know, this was, this was on the mount, okay? And there was this great victory, and it was a place of victory for God. But over, the, over time, it became a place, again, for idolatry. It became a place for idolatry. And as a result, what, what this is saying is he's saying, these are the centers of idolatry. We see a picture of this a little bit with, when Jesus goes and talks to the woman at the well. Remember the woman at the well? And Jesus is having a conversation with her and he asks her for a drink. And she's saying, how could you, a Jew, ask me a Samaritan for a drink? And she starts having this argument with Jesus. Now, you know, there's a lot of things I might ask Jesus, but I don't think I'd argue with him, you know? I, I, but she's having, in effect, of all the things she's arguing with him, she's arguing over spiritual worship. I mean, I find that hilarious, that she's asking Jesus about, about the Jews versus the Samaritans, because the Samaritans had their own religion. But what she says is, she, she says, you say that only in Jerusalem, only in Jerusalem can you offer true sacrifice, but we have our high places. That's what this is. This is Gigal. This is, this is Gilgal and Beth Event. This is, these are the high places where these, these statues and the, and, the, and the figures of Baal, this is where people are going to worship Baal and worship, or Baal and when worship Asherah. This is where they're supposed to go. And they're saying, let not Judah do that. Stay away from these, these places. Uh, you mothers all know there were certain places you told your children not to go to, right? <laughs> stay, stay away from that part of town, you know, stay don't away go, from... Don't go to the drugstore where they have pinball machines. <laughs> <laughs> stay away from the pool halls, right? Stay away from the pool halls. But there's certain places you want to stay away from. That's what they're doing. They're saying, Judah, stay away from that. Um, um, Gilgal was a place where prophets were trained under Elijah and Elisha, 2 Kings, okay? But in Hosea's day, they become a center of false worship. Now, what's interesting is there's actually no city named Beth Aven, okay? There's no city that ever existed. So why is Hosea saying, stay away from Beth Aven? Well, again, you kind of got to get into the commentaries and understand the Hebrew and stuff like that. But Beth El is what it was actually called. Beth El means house of God. House of God is Beth El. And that was a spirit. In fact, the tabernacle was in Beth El for a number of years. Before it was in Jerusalem, it was in Bethel. Um, David would go to Bethel and offer sacrifice. That was Bethel. Um, but but there, he's not talking about Bethel, he's taking Beth Aven. He's changing the name of it. Well, Bethel means house of God, where Beth Aven means house of deceit. House of deceit. So what he's done is he's renamed the place. 
And this is, this is common, by the way, in Hebrew poetry and Hebrew scriptures, is they'll use play on words. That's why it's difficult sometimes to truly, I'm so glad there's commentaries. I'm so glad I can get on my cell phone and, and pull up you know, other commentaries, people that are much smarter than me, okay? Um, that, that have understood this and been able to write it down and give us these clues. Uh, but, but that's true in language. Um, for those of you that, that have, uh, have learned other languages, like our friend Carl, you know, who German is his, his native language and he had to learn English. Uh, when I went to, to Mexico and I learned Spanish, and I was, you know, my, my boss, who was the president of the international group, um, was so impressed because he sent me down to Mexico and six months later he heard me speaking at a, a Ford dealer convention and I spoke in Spanish. And he said, my goodness, it's only been six months that you've been here and you're fluent in Spanish. Well, it was nice of him to say that. I was reading from a teleprompter. Now I had, now I had written my, my, my speech out. You know, I had taken the words, these were words that I knew and I was pretty conversant in Spanish. But what I couldn't do in Spanish was I didn't understand the nuances of the words, the nuances of the words. And I knew that because I would go and, and go to a, to a friend's house, okay, and we were all speaking Spanish. And I'd, I'd carry on the conversations and I'd understand pretty much everything that was going on. But then somebody would tell a joke. And I'd understand the joke, okay? Uh, you know, there, was, there were two guys and they met in a bar. Yeah, I got that, I got that. And the one guy said, how's your wife? And yeah, I get that, I got that. He says, oh, well, my brother-in-law came over, I get that. And then he says something, I don't get it. I, I never got the punch, I never got the punchlines. Well, this is kind of like a punchline. What, what Jose is doing is he's, he's changing the end of a word. He's just, he's just he's using a, a word that sounds similar but it's slightly different, but it has this, this meaning to it. And, and, and in Mexico, in Spanish, we knew that. In Mexico, a lot of the jokes, just like they are in the United States, were a little off color. They just were, that's what they were. That's just kind of what makes people laugh, okay? And what they called it was doble sentido, okay? Is it similar in, in Portuguese? Doble sentido, pretty close, right? Doble sentido means two meanings, two meanings. There's a word, but the word has two kinds of meanings, okay? So sometimes tomatoes are tomatoes, sometimes tomatoes are tomatoes, okay? They, they have a double meaning, they have a double meaning. And that's exactly what Hebrew uses a lot. A lot of times when we're going through the Hebrew, it's difficult sometimes to understand because there's this double meaning. There's a meaning that means it. We saw that the same type of thing when, when the, idea of, the idea of Gomer, the idea of Jezreel, he named his children sadness and abandonment, okay? So the words themselves mean something. Isn't that interesting? I find it very interesting, it really does. So in the next, in the next verses here, verses 16 through 19, are kind of like a, a summary, a summary of all of this. It says, Israel is, is stubborn, like a stubborn calf, and the Lord will let them forge, now the Lord will let them forge like a lamb in open country. Ephraim is joined to idols, let them alone, their drink is rebellion. So there's a list of charges that that Hosea is giving against Israel. And I like the first one. He, he compares Israel to a stubborn calf. Now, I've never, I've never been a farmer, okay? But, but I've led horses. Now, horses you can lead. Mules, on the other hand, okay? If they've got their own mind. I mean, a mule is only about a third the size of a, of a horse. My daughter used to ride. 
And she had these 17 hand thoroughbreds. They were beautiful horses. I mean, these are powerful horses, 1,600, 1,800 pounds of horse, just beautiful, all muscled out and stuff like that. And my daughter was 14, 15 years old, and she's like 90 pounds wet, right? <laughs> and she's getting this horse to do all kinds of things. And she's leading the horse all over the place. And she'd say, here, dad, hold him, you know, and I'd hold the horse and pretty much I could guide the horse around. I'd go to the right, the horse would go to the right, horse would go to the left. Well. They did riding lessons at this, this barn, and they had a few mules, okay? And, and mules were smaller. Yeah, so, so the mules would, are smaller. The kids would get on the mule, and the mule had the little bigger ears, you know. Oh, look, I'm riding a pony. No, that's a mule. You know, the ears are this big instead of this big. That's a mule you're riding instead of a horse, but that's okay. We won't tell the seven-year-old. Well, every now and then, I'd have to try to get the mule to do different things. And unlike the 17, 1800, 2,000-pound horse, this 450-pound mule would be stubborn. I mean, he would walk along just fine, and all of a sudden, the mule would just stop. <laughs> and, and, and it was it's like, why did you stop? And it just, I don't know. Mule <laughs> it just decided to stop. And, and it's like, a, and, I, and I'm only assuming, I say this because I've never led a calf, but, but I can understand that like Israel is stubborn like a stubborn calf. It seems like the, the cows would do the same thing. The cow would just kind of do the same thing and just kind of stop. Now, what's interesting is Hosea uses another animal. He says, Israel is like a stubborn calf, so the Lord will let them forage like a lamb in the open country. Well, remember we talked about, if you were here when we talked about the sheep and stuff like that and Jesus being the good shepherd and stuff like that, we've talked a lot about sheep. And the one thing we've all agreed on sheep, you can't agree whether they're stupid or they're smart or they're good or they're bad because we don't know. But we know one thing is they don't have any defenses. A sheep in an open field, you know, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, the next meal, you know, for some wolf or some dogs because it has no defense. And that's what, that's what Hosea is saying. He says, they're a stubborn cow, okay? So because they're a stubborn cow and they refuse to listen, even though I've sent the prophets and I've told them they've got to return to me, I'm gonna treat them like a lamb in an open field. There's no protection. They've got no shepherd. They're just somebody's meal. Okay, they're going to get picked off. And so this is prophetic because this is exactly what's going to happen to Israel. Even though they had made alliances with Egypt and made alliance with the Assyrians, eventually the Assyrians would come in and they would conquer Israel. God was going to say, you know what? You've been stubborn for so long. Here you go. Okay, <laughs> you're just, you're a lamb in an open field. Let them forge like a lamb in the, in the open country. And then it says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. The wind has wrapped up her in wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. So this is, this is again, this is, this is Ephraim. Remember we said before that this, these are the northern tribes. Now, officially, they're called Israel, which is the name of Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons, the 12 tribes. That's, this is an extension. And, and it's an interesting study on Ephraim. If you remember, Joseph was one of the sons of Israel. Remember? Joseph was one of the younger sons. He and Benjamin were the two youngest of the sons, okay? Rachel. And, uh, Rachel, exactly right. So this was the, this was the woman that... 
that Israel loved, okay? But these were the children of his old age, and he, he definitely, he loved Joseph. He gave them this coat of many colors, okay? We saw the movie, right? He gave him a coat of many colors. He sold into slavery, goes to Egypt. And anyway, Joseph becomes kind of the protector of all of Israel. Comes a very important man. And in fact, when Israel is giving his blessing to Joseph, okay, he gives, he says, where are your sons? Where are your sons? Ephraim and Manasseh, okay? And Manasseh is the older. Manasseh is the older, and then is Ephraim, okay? So he comes and he, he's gonna bless the two children. What he does, if you read it, okay, it's kind of interesting to read, he actually gives them a full tribal blessing. In fact, he gives them the same kind of blessing that he gives to the other tribes. So as a result, we don't really have 12 tribes, we have 13 tribes, because Joseph's two sons become tribal leaders, okay? So when you take a look at the tribes of, of look at that little book, if you take a look at the tribes, there's no tribe of Joseph on the map. There's a tribe for Manasseh and a tribe for, there's an area for Ephraim and, a tribe, and an area for Manasseh. Now when Israel gives the blessing to the two sons, um, Joseph had put, uh, had put Manasseh on his right and uh, Ephraim on his left so that the, the son would get the right-hand blessing, which would be the older son because he was the oldest. And what, what, um, what uh, Israel does is this. He crosses his hands. And Joseph says, no, father, don't do that, okay? Because Manasseh is the oldest and Israel knows what he's doing. He's giving the first blessing to Ephraim. Now we understand why often Israel, the whole land of Israel with these 10 tribes is often called Ephraim. Because in this one it says, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. He's not talking about the tribe. He's talking about all 10 tribes. He's, he's talking about all of these people. In fact, there's a prophecy back in Genesis. No, not Genesis. Um, where is it? Anyway, there's a, there's a prophecy in going with this. I think it's in, oh, it is in Genesis, um, where it says, you, your people will be known as Ephraim. Your people will be known for this, this one tribe. So Ephraim is the name that the people are often referred to. So people say, what is it? Why do they call Ephraim all the time? Well, Ephraim was not just a powerful tribe. It's because the idea that it got, not only was it one of the 12 tribes as a result of the blessing that and that Israel gave to them because they were the sons of Joseph, but also because he put his right hand, crossed his hands, and put his right hand on Ephraim. Israel was Jacob renamed, right? That's right. And Jacob stole the birthright. Yeah, he did it as well. Of his brother, right. who was the older. The older one too. It happened a number of times. And see, that, it has a lot to do with the idea of the foreknowledge and the blessing of God. I mean, God has a, a plan that can't be thwarted by customs or culture. God has a certain plan. So often, and we say in the Bible, is the blessing did not go to the firstborn, even though that was the custom of the land. The firstborn was supposed to have the double share, the whole blessing. It often went to even the usurper, and Jacob was the usurper. He was the one that, that was, stole the blessing, stole the blessing from his, 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 uh, his brother. So this is, this is Ephraim, okay? Does that sound interesting? Isn't that interesting how this is done? So this is, this is why it's in there, okay? So, so it says, let him alone, let him alone, okay? Now, we don't want God to leave us alone, do we? <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't wanna have God leave us alone. 
So that's that's the conclusion. We have the opportunity to remind um, ourselves to be able to pray for Leslie and for Harvey. We pray for Leslie. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.